gentlemen and wormhole wanderers, get ready for the creepiest, crawlingest, brutalest, brawlingest night of time-tripping terror you've ever laid ears on. In this corner, a time-tested tale of star-crossed almost lovers, Twilight Zone, and the challenger proving time-travel rules of our sweater-loving suckers, Are You Afraid of the Dark? This is Put Up Your Spoons! This week's theme... Time Teens. I'm Jeff, representing the 80s. And I'm Ryan, swinging through those 90s. So Ryan, it's our anniversary episode. It's been almost a full year since we've recorded an episode. Oh, so it's our almost anniversary episode. We were uh, stuck in a time warp with some time teens. So the the theme I have selected is time loop, time warp, sort of time travel-y stuff. And uh, we kind of settled on a, on a really good match. Yeah, I think you're right. It does match quite well. My episode is the 1980s Twilight Zone series, A Message from Charity. So we begin in 1700 with a teenage girl, Charity Payne, who is gripped in the throes of a fever. And she's rambling about this terrible thunder, even though the nurse says that the skies are clear. But through Charity's eyes, uh, we see this bitchin' Mustang roaring down the road. And this is actually on a TV screen near another sick person, Peter Wood, who is experiencing a similar fever in the far-off year of 1985. Incredibly, Peter's doctor says, Bacterial infection caused by stagnant water, inadequate drain-off. Yes, I remember my mother telling me about a similar outbreak when she was a girl. Yeah, these things come in cycles sometimes. But this particular strain is a stubborn cuss. It's cropped up hereabouts in some form or another ever since colonial days. So Peter Wood and Charity Payne both live in the same town, and they're both infected by the same recurring bacteria. So after the fever passes, the teenagers learn that their minds are still connected, uh, and Peter's a lonely nerd, and this is the best thing that has ever happened to him. So at first, Charity's like, ah, you're the devil. I'll not listen to you. But he pretty quickly convinces her that the 80s are totally rad, and he spends his days in hedonistic bliss, uh, (laughs) allowing Charity to experience things like chocolate ice cream and three-ply toilet paper. And washing the car (laughs) and three-ply toilet paper. (laughs) I was uh, just waiting for her to start, like, puking her guts out after, because, like, it cuts to him on sitting in his room and his bed is covered in just empty junk food covered containers covered in junk food yeah so i like really wanted to cut back to colonial times and have her just like <laughs> just ralphing up a storm or, or or going into a diabetic coma yeah. or something yeah um he goes outside and he's staring at a plane and she can see uh and experience everything that he sees and experiences it's a tough sell because sometimes they can see what the other person is seeing sometimes they can't Sometimes they can taste what the other's seeing. Sometimes they can hear what the other's hearing or taste what the other's tasting. So the the rules were kind of unclear and it, they kind of went back and forth. And it's hard to kind of picture what it looks like. Like, are they seeing double? Is she seeing what she sees and what he sees and vice versa? Yeah, they're having conversations while like he's washing the car and she'll be like, 
washing the the laundry and like hanging it up on the line but they're both like walking around with their eyes open but also sharing maybe there's like a you know we're on a google meet right now maybe it's like a picture in picture oh man yeah <laughs> he's got um, a little heads up yeah it's an ar overlay yeah but he's you know he's watching a plane fly overhead and she's like i find it hard to believe that that's not a strange bird uh, you know you say it's a carriage in the sky i think a, a plane would have freaked her the fuck out that would have been the first ffo or at least yeah. the second ffo well all of it probably should have had her cowering in a pool of her own filth especially since they do live in olden times where fear of witchcraft is is rampant so back to our story charity is trying to school her friend ursula on what the future might hold but ursula is frightened of such devilish things it's deviltry she knows it's deviltry because even the livestock were affected which makes me think that the the cows and horses in the 1700s were mind swapping with the cows and horses from <laughs> 1985 <laughs> and Most i don't definitely. know if they're like eh just still grass. <laughs> Nay. So Ursula gets freaked out and runs away. And the next time we see Peter, who I should add is only 16 years old, he's at a restaurant just slugging down wine. <laughs> well, his and, dad does say, don't tell your mother. And uh, Charity gets totally turned. Charity, what is wrong with thee? Wrong? <laughs> what could be wrong? <laughs> I knew that we're not quite well yet. Just a fever coming back. Mary, Father, I feel fine. And she's like, no, no, no. There's just this lonely nerd in the 1980s who's sending me psychic messages. And he's like, oh, shit. They don't have time to worry about that because the motherfucking Witchfinder General shows up. And he wants to give Charity a very up-close and personal examination. But Charity's father, James Cromwell, he ain't having any of that. So he goes beast mode and just thrashes this group of pilgrims. But one of them gets lucky and uh, lays them out with an ax handle to the head. So Charity's taken someplace private and the Witchfinder General wants to uh, lift up her bloomers and look for the devil's mark. But uh, Charity's not down with that. So she runs off into the woods. And Peter is like, yeah, maybe it was not the best idea to let this girl in the 1700s lived so deliciously um he's like okay let, let's go to the library i'm sure they'll have something about the witch trials here and maybe i can find out what happens uh he didn't find any info on charity but he does find some damning information on the Witchfinder general uh he finds out that that guy was posthumously convicted for killing two sailors and swiping their gold so he sets a plan Charity submits to a witchcraft trial, and when she's asked about the things she sees, she starts going on about these bodies of these missing sailors, and they're they're actually buried nearby. And the witchfinder is like, "Well, I think we've all heard enough. Clearly, this is a, a second sight given by God, just like my old granddad had. And everyone here knows that there was not a woman more saintly than my than my grandma. I think I said granddad, but you know, you get the point." So, uh, Witchfinder General hypes up the crowd. I'd say, I would say he overhypes them. He, they're like, oh, yeah, we agree. And then he keeps going. I was like, shit, he's going to, like, talk himself right back into witchcraft if he doesn't shut up soon. It, it's kind of his, uh, his gig. He's like, just he can't ha- help yeah, himself. Just enjoying it. 
yeah, people are like, eh, all right, she has a second sight, big deal. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, he, he just goes off. So she's declared innocent. Uh, she and James Cromwell head on home, and it seems like a happy ending. But then Charity friend zones Peter from 1700, and it's totally brutal. She's like, well, our plan worked brilliantly, and I now have a powerful person uh, who will stick up for my innocence. But just in case I have any trouble ever again, I'm going to close this psychic connection. Sorry, Peter, you're a loser. And even in the 1700s, I'd rather die of dysentery than listen to your <laughs> nerdly prattling. And so Peter goes back to school because he's still got like another few years of high school. But then becomes a totally cool dude. Uh, I, I think he gains... He gains a little, a little confidence. He talks to people. He actually talks to people. He gets one final psychic message from Charity. She says, go, go find a message that I've left for you by Bear Rock. And he goes down and sees a tree and it's been carved with a heart and their initials, the end. She carved it into the rock. Were you paying attention? No, there's a tree stump next to the rock. I think she carved it into the rock. Carved into the very living rock? Yeah, otherwise how would it have survived? She never, He would never oh. have seen that 200 years hence. I thought it was a tree trunk. Let's go to the tape. He moves some reeds aside, and then there's, yeah, pure granite. Okay, for some reason that looked like uh, uh, a tree stump to me. Total knockout. Winner, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> The, the good thing about you working from home now is that you can actually half watch a video uh, yeah. out of the corner of your eye on a full yeah. screen as opposed to watching it at work minimized. So I don't know, man. What do, you, what do you think about this episode? You know, I am learning that having only watched two 1980s Twilight Zones, it seems to be a very soft-edged, low stakes. I mean, she was going to get accused of witchcraft, which is pretty high stakes, but the the... The, the pacing and the plotting are are not, like, high energy in, yeah. in both episodes that we've watched. And I don't mind that at all. It's just surprising to me. Yeah, when you think Twilight Zone, you think edgy with a twist, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, both episodes we've watched have been been pretty light and airy. The last one was uh, Time and Teresa Golowitz. Uh, another time another works. time travel time teens another time teens maybe she thought it was the devil tree but right off the bat peter is like in he, he doesn't he just accepts it immediately he's like this is my time pen pal we're talking <laughs> we're friends there's nothing weird going on here whatsoever well it's the only friend he's ever had <laughs> and it's a pretty girl so i mean he's he's loving it yeah. Right. And he gets to be like smart future guy. Right. He's not like, oh, I'm overwhelmed by by all this crazy stuff. He's like, oh, yeah, Let me here's tell some you chocolate this. ice cream. Let me tell you that. Yeah, exactly. He, but he never asked her to open a bank account in his name, I suppose. Exactly. And that that's <laughs> he's a hero. That's a true. Hero. That's the one note. I not the one note, but that's maybe the, the most important note I had. Like, there's not a lot he can do for her. You know, maybe he can do some deep historic research and be like okay uh, there's going to be a drought in the next year so you want to save us some fucking potatoes but she could put a little money in an interest-bearing account for him and he'd have millions of dollars yeah or she could just take some common items that are going to become priceless antiques and <laughs> right. just like put them in the the wall of the barn or something yeah totally yeah bank probably wouldn't be the way to go because without fdic they it, those banks probably would have failed before he could get to them. So I, I think you could really 
work that connection something backwards in time whereas i don't think she had the resources or the mobility or the means to really exploit knowledge of the future back to the future two style you know it's not like she was gambling on uh yeah. In the stock market or or sports almanac or something, you know? He could have uh, helped her to... I mean, she probably died toothless in childbirth. Let's... Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, he could have, you know, helped her discover, like, what kind of plants <laughs> would be, yeah, like, really good. And <laughs> But to... he may not know what kind of well, plants he, would But be. he has a whole library at his disposal. True. So Peter claims that, like, it had to have happened the way it happened. I think at some point she questions all this. And he's like, no, this is the way it happens because it's in this book. He's sort of, in essence, arguing that no matter what she does, it's not going to have upstream time effects, meaning that these are all fixed points in time hmm. and that this was always meant to happen and they are in a predestined time loop. I mean, they both move into the future, but like that moment, they were always traveling back and forth. I thought that was interesting. What I also thought was interesting was this was some, uh, some down-home, old-timey, colonial Massachusetts shit Hell yeah. Uh, and, and, and I got to ask you, as our resident uh, mass hole, is there an Aniston? Is there a Harmon Brook? Never heard of it. Oh, man. They got wiped out in the time storm. Well, I still have notes about watching the show. Peter was played by Kevin from Masters of the Universe, which I was pretty excited about. <laughs> I, I knew you would be. The Dolph Lundgren version. On the cutting room floor is hours and hours of them masturbating together. <laughs> I mean, in the very beginning, they were like stroking each other's sheets and stuff. And they were like, oh, so soft. And they kept having loving close ups of their hands. And I was like, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. So so a, a note about that. This episode is based on a short story by William M. Lee. Huh. And in the in the original story, uh, Peter is still 16, but Charity is 11. Oh, my God in heaven. So the screenwriter uh, was like, e, this is going to be creepy. They're both 16. The really, like, freaky thing, the really, like, mind-blowing sci-fi about this episode is that there's a bacteria yeah. in Massachusetts that has been connecting brains. I mean, presumably, they're not the first people this has ever happened to. If this yeah. bacteria has been present and causing fevers for hundreds of years, could right? be responsible for all the witch killings. Yeah, in the original screenplay for this, the producers wanted Peter to be like much more interested in 1980s pop culture, and <laughs> I just wonder what that would have been like. Just Cindy Lauper and Sting, and you know, yeah, Captain Lou Albano Footloose. and. Uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he was like showing Charity uh, Teen Wolf, and she was freaking out. Uh, but instead, uh, they're like, "Yeah, we're not gonna go the easy route. We're actually gonna make him like a nerd who reads Shakespeare, and mm -hmm. and we want to sort of capitalize on this Romeo and Juliet yeah. star-crossed lovers well, they had to, situation." That that was a good choice, I think, because they had to have something that they could connect over. Like if they were just two aliens, then they wouldn't have. If they had nothing in common, right. he, he would be like, books, what are those? Yeah. This whole episode just seemed so up your alley. I just imagined you, like, weeping and tearing your clothes. <laughs> well, it wasn't... Wearing, wearing your tricorn hat. Yeah. You know, maybe it would have really hit me in, in my younger years before I became embittered. Because, like, I used to love Roswell when I was in my late teens, early 20s. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, they're star-crossed love. And then I tried to go back and watch it as an, a slightly older man, and I was like, oh, God. 
So, uh, but I don't know. I don't think they really, I mean, I never felt like they uh, were like destined to be together or it wasn't like heart rending when they said goodbye and stuff like that. So after the trial where Charity sort of uh, uses her future knowledge to uh, blackmail the Witchfinder general, it would have been really funny if they had cut back to Peter's time and if he had been like half robot or there were like dinosaurs <laughs> running around, like she completely destroyed the time stream. Yes. That, that would have been more Twilight Zone. Yes. That would have, you know, some kind of butterfly effect yeah. would have been hilarious <laughs> if it was totally saccharine sweet and low stakes up until that point. And then <laughs> he opens a portal uh, to her time and like a bunch of Terminators come out or some shit. It, like the bacteria would have evolved and and like grown and grown and become yeah. multicellular organisms but they but but they're still they still have their time travel ability in an edge of tomorrow lived i repeat situation yeah my final note on this episode is that once upon a time james cromwell said hi to me what <laughs> go, go on i was working at columbia pictures and i was making some photocopies and he walked by the copier room and he said hi and i said hi and it was the greatest moment of my life that's pretty awesome Cromwell's the man. Yeah, he was a good guy. And then he went to the executives, the high-powered executives, and he said, Hey, I'm Jimmy Cromwell. And I was like, man, what a guy. Jimmy Crom's. You find something amusing? Juxtaposed against your time teens are my very own time teens from Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Tale of the Long Ago Locket. I'm going to jump in and stop you right there. This is my earliest jump in, and I hate to slow your roll, but avid listeners of our show will know how we talk about the production mandate that you don't show how fire is created on the show. They're always doing sort of very confusing things with fire and extinguishing fire and rubbing sticks together. Like they're never going to show these kids how to start a fire. And I realized that this goes all the way back to the opening credits of are you afraid of the dark <laughs> they don't even show they, you the hand them. holds up a match <laughs> and the match just ignites itself they don't even show up striking a match anyway so yeah frank I, we're watching all of these out of order but frank is just scamming on salmon salmon scamming <laughs> run a scam uh, on sam he just can't yeah can't stop can't stop running those sam scams and that's all i'll say about the midnight society so Jimmy is a high schooler and played by one of my favorites, Will Friedel of Boy Meets World fame. So Jimmy walks home through the park after school and finds a knife on the ground. As he picks it up, a hand reaches out from the bushes and grabs his arm. So he screams comically and runs away, but he does see a mysterious figure darting through the trees. In his normal life of non-knife grabbing, Jimmy is obsessed with this girl, April, but he's too scared to talk to her because he's a lonely nerd, even though he's the cool, awesome Will Friedel. Except when he does talk to her immediately and ask her out to go ice skating, but is then further immediately cock-blocked by their mutual friend. He, he was almost there. He's like, hey, you, 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 you want to go skating? And then the other guy's like, Fountain of Blood Part 4 or whatever, some other movie that they want to see. Tower of Blood Part 4. I'll leave. I'll just go. So he walks away, goes home, and uh, he's like walking around kissing couples and... <laughs> He, he he's walking around couples who are kissing. He's not walking around kissing couples. <laughs> that's a that's a good uh, bit of writing knowledge. 
Got to watch yep. out how you structure those sentences. Exactly. Um, That's a freebie from me to you. And he goes back, of course, through the park, and uh, he sees the mysterious stranger kind of running, running through the woods again. And contrary to his timid nature, he's like, Hey, who the fuck are you, huh? Hey, oh, you're not going to scare me this time. He goes and chases him through the woods, showing that he does have the confidence inside him. He just needs to figure out how to unleash it. And he chases the guy down, and the uh, guy grabs him and says, Which way to Harrisville? His clothes are all old-timey. And uh, before you can give him directions, they're set upon by some red coats. Some genuine red coats. And they chase them through the woods, and uh, but not before the guy somehow gets two shots off from his muzzle-loading rifle. People skilled with uh, with muzzle loaders could, <laughs> just, could shoot like... He reloaded in like, two seconds. Uh, not two seconds, but like a shot a minute or or, or, or more. Seriously, I mean, well, they, it, but, it seems but, impossible yeah. now in retrospect. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I, I guess, but then they do get away only because the redcoats have to stop to reload. Right, uh, which they would have to do. Yeah, but the redcoats catch up anyway, and they're about to bayonet Jimmy. And so he cowers in fear, but then he hears a voice, a sweet voice, saying, Jimmy, what are you doing? And it's just April and her friends, and he makes some excuse about looking for his contact lens, uh, but uh, finds this, this, like, brass button in the grass and says that he found it, and then they all head off. What was uh, crazy was he was so committed to the bit that he put the brass button in his eye. <laughs> he just stuck it right in it. But yeah, I, 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 uh, I was kind of picturing from their angle, like, them seeing him holding the brass button and saying, I found it, and it's just, like, this <laughs> solid brass object and being, like, really freaked out. Uh, some kind of cosplay contact lens or something. Yeah, steampunk contact yeah. lens. Uh, so he takes it to an antique dealer, of course, who tells him it's an 18th century button from a Minuteman uniform. And he tells Jimmy that the Battle of Harrisville went right through the park. But the button is kind of weird because it looks brand new. If I didn't know better, I'd say a Minuteman had worn this this very day. <laughs> I did a little bit of research, and uh, I was surprised to find that... Uh, the revolutionaries in America did invade Quebec in 1775, and they got trounced. Huh. So, let me see. Jimmy, April, and cock-blocking guy, who does have a name, although I forget it. He, they only say it once. They're all playing frisbee in the park, and uh, Jimmy overthrows by 10,000 miles. And is Look, like, it wasn't just frisbee, it was an aerobie. It was one of those. You try, you try not throwing in a row before uh, a thousand yards. Uh, so he's like, "Go on, go on to the cafe without me. You guys can continue to get to know each other better whilst I pine from the shadows." And he goes off to the woods and hears the sounds of battle, guns firing, and horses trotting along. The redcoats see him and ride him down as a traitor spy. They corner him and are about to hang him by the neck until dead. When the minute man comes and saves his life. He explains, so this is the really funny part, he explains he needs to get to Harrisville desperately, not because he has some vital information for the rebellion, not because he needs to get to a battle there, but because he's got a sweetie there that he really needs to talk to because he wasn't able to tell her he loved her and she's about to marry some royal ugly dude. No way! Yeah, I really kind of uh, threw my hands up at this point with this episode. <laughs> I mean, this episode was terrible already, but then to find out that the spy had no mission that had anything to do with redcoats or anything, 
And it was just that he didn't have the guts to tell some chick that he loved her. So you have to make the connection to the modern day story and Jimmy has to be able to learn a lesson. Right. But if um, if he had said, like, I wasn't able to commit to my my betrothed or the woman I love because, because I of have my this mission. important mission. But yeah. if you can bring her this locket she'll know and she'll wait for me. Yeah. So anyway, the Minuteman gives Jimmy his knife to bind their friendship and tells him that it's the year 1780. And then the Redcoats find them and they split up and run. Goes right back to the antique store and the dealer tries to lowball him for that mint condition antique knife. Jimmy's like, nah, nah. But uh, he pumps the guy for info uh, about the name on the knife handle, Lieutenant William. And the dealer's like, well, that reminds me of a young Lieutenant William from 1760 that I know all about, 1780. And uh, he was captured, gives him a book where he reads all about, he's in class reading the book about Lieutenant William who's captured and hung as a spy in 1780. On that very day, I think, because he looks at the calendar and it's the same day. So he asks to be excused from class and the teacher like why he's like oh, a friend needs help but i think he should have said he had diarrhea or something like that yeah but didn't want to say that in front of april yeah so he just sits there in class until the bell rings and afterwards she's april confronts him she's you know worried about him he tells them everything about the Minuteman and the redcoats and all that stuff and they don't really believe him but the cock blocking guy lets him borrow a boom box because jimmy has a plan so in the park the Redcoats are just about to string William up, but it's weird because he's also tied to the tree. And he's I don't know like, what, yeah, he, <laughs> it's very, very silly. So Jimmy blasts the boombox off in the distance, which distracts them long enough for him to cut Lieutenant William loose. And they bayonet the shit out of the boombox and then chase Jimmy and William down. I thought it would have been hilarious if the Redcoats' heads had exploded like in the tail of the hatching. <laughs> what is this devil tree? He's a witch. Rock and roll. Oh, my British bones. So he's he tells William how to get to Harrisville, and then he leads the Redcoats away. And then April's there, and she's like, hi. And she's waving. <laughs> and he's like, run, get the fuck out, Redcoats. And he tackles her to the ground. And then they look up, and it's just like this dressage rider in a red coat doing a little horseback riding in the park. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. But April just has, you know, a few shattered ribs, but no big deal. <laughs> and so after, you know, living through that entire ordeal, Jimmy finally has the courage to just tell April how he feels. And he shows her the knife, and she actually sees the inscription on the knife change from Lieutenant William to Captain William, which I've never thought about this before, but I was like, wait a minute. A, Lieutenant William gave Jimmy his knife, so he wouldn't have had it to change the inscription. And B, he would have been promoted to Captain after escaping from the Redcoats, so did... The knife somehow get reforged and re-inscribed as captain. And then re-given. And then re-given to, to the boy. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It, does, it makes no sense, and I never noticed it before. But at least there's an inscription to tie back to your episode. But then Jimmy finds the locket on the ground. The, the locket that Lieutenant William was going to give to his sweetie. And uh, he gives it to her, and then they fall in love and live happily ever after. As for Jimmy and April, well, I'll let you figure that one out for yourselves. April should be terrified of Jimmy because he has been acting like a sweaty, raving maniac. Quite erratic. For days. And then she's finally alone in the woods with him and he pulls on pulls out a knife. He's like, oh, look at this. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, okay, it's a nut. You have a knife. And then he walks over. He sees 
a locket on the ground in the dirt, <laughs> picks up this dirty locket that has two random people in it, and he puts it around her neck. April is uh, not very choosy. You know what? That's just destiny. She's only got eyes for Jimmy. She's attracted to his aloof mystery. What the hell is going on in this episode? Because the, the spy soldier was supposed to die. So if you see him, it's either you've traveled in time or he's a ghost. Right. Maybe he's got unfinished business, but Jimmy saves his life. So he never died. So he's not a ghost. And just because he had unfinished business, but there's also a bunch of redcoats there. Right. So this is why I think he's not seeing like ghosts or or shades of the past because he gets the button and the knife and the locket and they're all in pristine condition which i think lends credence to the whole time warp time travel scenario so what is causing this time loop is it just uh that's the, that's the only problem yeah there's no catalyst for the time loop right is this just a spot in the woods that has time has a properties? natural yeah yeah they got he went to these woods and got blipped they blipped in 1919 yeah, you know, I was surprised by your episode that they didn't, like, run that guy down. But she was just like, I know of a certain someone who killed two people, wink, wink. And then that was it. I was like, shit, that guy's not getting any comeuppance for killing two sailors and stealing their gold. And, and molesting and molesting a bunch of girls, yeah, claiming that they're witches. I, I wonder if that was a nod to keeping the time stream... I suppose. Uh, ...the same. Because in any other story she'd be like i think the magistrate should, should look in your basement and they're gonna find uh dead bodies but that wouldn't necessarily clear her of witchcraft or second sight but she has second sight but she's nay a witch but she does <laughs> have second sight but my grandmother had second sight that reminds me of a story about my third cousin he was also second sighted but he was a witch anyway let her go hey, hey. time to shrew kryptonite uh, not applicable. Nope. Body count for both, zero. Scare factor, shock factor, zip. Zero. Gross factor for Twilight Zone. You have the pervy witchfinder. It's <laughs> a little gross. Give it a, a 10%. Yeah. But he wasn't, he wasn't even that pervy, and he didn't have, like, boils or anything. True. I mean, uh, pr pr pretty light sauce for, uh, for one of our shows. What the factor for Twilight Zone? I'm gonna say... There was a bit, uh, a bit of what the factor trying to figure out how the transtemporal uh, brain bacteria bridge worked. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really derail the show. No. Whereas in Till the Lost Locket, it just didn't. The fact that the spy's mission had nothing to do with getting to Harrisburg. <laughs> so what the factor was off the charts. Think factor. Zero for Zero. both. Uh, theme of time teens. I'm giving that to Twilight Zone. The main characters were teens. Yeah, yeah. Both so, times. Yeah, the Minuteman. We don't know how old he was, but he probably wasn't a teen. No, he seemed to be a, a much older guy. He was an old man at 22. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a, a grizzled old 22-year-old. Totally 80s for... Uh, Twilight Zone? Zero. There was no pop culture whatsoever. You know, you got the teens in the high school. Uh, you get a little bit of rock and roll, but... Uh, he was just yeah. wearing, like, normal sweaters and slacks. I wouldn't even say normal. I would say they uh, they kind of went out of their way to make him a very studious, not very cultural, so so low. Low uh, for 80s. Except that it was important that it was the 1980s, 1700s and the 1980s. Why? For plot reasons, it was important that one person was in 
the year 1985 and the other person in the 1700s. He could have also been in 1920 or... That's true. You know, but any other he time. wasn't. No. He was in 1985. He was in 1985. Or present day, hella 90s. I would say probably not not a lot except for the high jeans that's about it and th- that those are back so that could have taken place today so we have a tie draw what would you do in this scenario you find out that you've been infected with a bacteria that connects your brain to someone in the past well with my luck i would have been connected to the judge <laughs> <laughs> i must search your body for witch marks take off thy frog you could develop a relationship or you could try some some time shenanigans but you've also got the idea that there is bacteria that can be harvested you need to study that bacteria you, you gotta get study that, that, shit that bacteria under a because you know archaeologists could unlock the secrets of the past or would it be like something you know stranger things style that snapped up by some secret government agency that is like spying on the past yeah, and then they would have uh, tried to boost its effects, and then we would have gotten super corona time bacteria. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that, you know, it was a bunch of people kind of waylaid by this cyclical bacteria. In Peter's time, 1985, they have much better uh, water filtration. Right. So maybe, it's only maybe a there. few kids on his street. He's got to find those other kids. They can form a whole society. But again, being aware of what uh, a commoner was aware of in the 1700s, may not yield much value it's it is it's what you make of it also baiting now take off thy frock i command it say jeff well you know restrictions have lifted but yeah you want to get together for like a in-person record i mean pe- people are a lot less careful now so are you you know are you feeling okay like i'm i'm still worried about yeah i'm okay i mean i've just got you know a little bit of fever i don't know it's weird it's like i can hear the thoughts of a lonely teenage nerd from the 1980s? Those are just your thoughts. We run for your lives. 